Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a Sideline Sleuth. Today we're going to talk about a missing person case turned murder investigation in the small Texas panhandle town of Canadian. On November 23, 2016, the day before Thanksgiving, 18-year-old Thomas Kelly Brown went missing in Canadian, Texas. His body was found more than two years later on January 9, 2019, near Lake Marvin, a recreational area in Hemphill County, about 12 miles or so from Canadian. His body was identified through forensic testing and dental records. Around 6 p.m. on the day he went missing, he asked his mom if he could borrow her debit card for gas money because he was going to hang out with his friends, Caleb and Christian. His mother, Penny Meek, said usually the kids would all meet up at one of the schools, park their cars there, get into one car, and ride around together. I've lived in small towns before, so there's really nothing else to do but like loop the town, so this seems pretty typical for a night out for high school students. Tom and Caleb left their vehicles, parked at the school, and the three of them drove around in Christian's car. A school security camera, as well as a nearby church's camera, shows Tom and his friends pulling out of the parking lot in their separate vehicles around 11.20 p.m. Tom had a curfew of midnight, which his mom said he never missed. That evening before heading home, Tom stopped at Franks Oil. It's a gas station with just pumps, so there's no convenience store, and therefore there's no employees. I've seen two articles, one from the Houston Chronicle and another from NBC News, that stated that there's surveillance footage, which was reviewed after his disappearance, showing Tom pumping gas into his car. But Franks did not have any functional cameras at the time of Tom's disappearance. Their cameras were down. So I don't know where that would have came from, but we do know he was there because his mom's debit card was swiped at 1128 at Franks. So we know that much. He immediately went to go get gas. Yeah, he was on his way home. Good kid. Additionally, there have been some eyewitness reports of people saying that they saw Tom at Franks that night around 1140. If this footage does exist, or if the young men are telling the truth about seeing him, these are the last instances anybody ever saw him. Since Tom never missed his curfew, naturally his mom started to worry when midnight rolled around and he hadn't made it home yet. So she asked his brother Tucker if he had heard from him. He said that he had just texted him, but didn't get a reply. Penny thought that maybe he just didn't want to talk to his brother, so she decided to text him herself. A few minutes later, she too did not get a reply, which was very odd for Thomas. She said he is generally very responsive to his texts, especially from her around curfew time. She mentions it to Tucker, who then decides to text him again, but there's no reply. Penny texts him a second time. Now, this is all happening within a span of just a few minutes because it's not even 1230 yet. So it's like shortly after midnight, but before 1230. Penny then notices that her first message was delivered to Tom, but her second was not, leading her to think that his phone was most likely off at this point. She tells Tucker this, and he says that his second message was also not delivered. I'm assuming that Tom had an iPhone, and iMessages don't deliver if your phone is off usually. Um, But I remember I had another phone carrier, and if I was just on the phone, they wouldn't deliver, and then they would come through after you ended that call. But either way, the first two messages to Tom were delivered, but the last one was not. Around 12.30, Penny calls Tom, and the call goes directly to voicemail. So within a span of minutes, Tom's phone is turned off. She successfully sends a text, and then basically, in the blink of an eye, she is no longer able to. Penny and Tucker set out to look for Tom, in separate vehicles and heading in separate directions. 
Her husband stayed behind in case Tom returned home. She drove places she knew Tom and his friends frequented and drove by some of his friends' houses too. But there was no sign of Tom or his red Dodge Durango. Around 2 a.m., she decided to contact the mother of Caleb, who was one of his friends that he had been out with that night. Caleb immediately reached out to Christian and another friend of Tom's named Michael, who he had hung out with earlier that day prior to linking up with Caleb and Christian. Christian immediately responded, and like Caleb, she made it home safely and was very surprised to hear that Tom had not. Michael took a little bit longer to respond, but by approximately 2.20, Caleb and his mother Robin, as well as Christian and Michael, had all joined in the search effort for Tom and his Durango. So at this point, there's Tucker, Tom's brother, who is out with some of his friends searching. And then you have Caleb, Robin, Christian, and Michael searching, in addition to Penny. So this is like a lot of boots on the ground. Yeah. Penny also calls the sheriff's office dispatch at roughly the same time that she called Caleb's mom. About 45 minutes later, after placing that call, the deputy on duty contacts Penny and tells her that he's going to go out to look for Tom. At about 3.30 in the morning, Tucker returned home from his search, and Pine Gregory, a deputy from the Hemphill County Sheriff's Office, came to their house. Tucker and Deputy Gregory then set out together to look for Tom. They searched for a few hours, arriving back at the house again around 6 a.m. There was no sign of Tom or his vehicle. So Penny didn't see any sign of him or his Durango, and neither did Deputy Gregory or Tucker and his friends, or Caleb and his mom, or Christian, or Michael. Some interested parties believe that there is video evidence showing his Dodge Durango in Canadian three different times between 4.41 a.m. and 4.43 a.m., but the driver was not identifiable. This is not a definitive fact, though. There are numerous SUVs in the surveillance footage, and it is quite possible that one of them is Tom's Durango, but it was not known with absolute certainty that any of them are, in fact, his vehicle. There is one video from a convenience store just blocks from Tom's house that the family believes does show his car, because he had some like window chalk writing on his car, and that SUV in that specific video does too. The timestamp for that video is about 5.45 in the morning. Mm. Whether or not those are all Tom's Durango, or none of them are, or some of them are, a significant amount of gas was used in the vehicle, about 100 miles worth, which is not consistent with someone who had just filled up their tank. And we know that Tom did fill the Durango's tank up because of the dollar amount he got from the electronic receipt on Penny's card. It is the belief of the sheriff's office that Tom was driving his vehicle around town all night that night. When the sun came up, Penny went back out to search again, and her husband Chris also went out separately to search. That morning, Christian Webb, the girl who Tom and Caleb had been out with the night before, went up in a helicopter with her father to look for Tom's Durango. Christian and her father spotted the vehicle in a really remote area, hidden basically under some trees, about four miles from Tom's house, near some ball fields and a water treatment plant on a small road close to a small set of apartments. There's no telling how long the vehicle would have been concealed if it wasn't for the helicopter, because it was really in a spot that would not have been spotted without the aerial view. Christian's dad, Trey, called the sheriff's department, who then notified the family. Lucky his friends have a helicopter. Christian's dad owns a helicopter business. Otherwise, I was like, where'd you get this helicopter from? Dope. Yeah. Video surveillance from a nearby building in the area of where his car was found showed it arriving at its location of discovery around 5.55 a.m. However, like the previous surveillance, the person driving could not be identified. Hmm. Penny said in an interview that the location where it was found was nowhere near anywhere that Tom would have gone. His friend Christian said she didn't even know that road existed, so it is likely that Tom did not either. His phone, laptop, bag, and keys were missing from his vehicle. 
A small smudge of blood was found on the driver's side door of the Durango. A shell casing from a 25 caliber pistol and a debit card belonging to Michael, one of Tom's friends, who he saw earlier that day of his disappearance. The sh- right? That's All weird. Yeah. The sheriff believed the drop of blood to be old, but Phil Klein, who I may just refer to as Phil or Klein going forward in this episode, he's the private investigator hired by the family, he said that the blood could be evidence of some sort of struggle. An interview specialist with Klein's firm said that the blood was a match to Tom. I've seen some conflicting things about the blood droplet location. Some documents I've read said it was on the inside of the car door, on the driver's side, and other sources said it was on the outside of the driver door. Either way, there was this one droplet of blood on the driver's door, inside or out, that belonged to Tom. They also said that a cadaver dog got a brief hit inside of the SUV, on the SUV, and at Lake Marvin, not far from where the SUV was abandoned. At this time, Phil already believed that Tom was the victim of a homicide. Reportedly, the water treatment plant was drained, Lake Marvin was surveyed with sonar, and the Canadian River was searched all the way into Oklahoma. All of these efforts turned up no clues. According to the family, the sheriff suggested perhaps Tom committed suicide, a statement that he adamantly denies ever saying now. And oddly enough, he made this statement like right, right after the discovery of the vehicle. The family has also stated that at some point, sheriff's office personnel suggested that maybe Tom was a runaway. A year before his body was found, which was a year after his disappearance, the sheriff said he still believed that Tom was alive somewhere. So much. I mean, if you find blood on a car, I mean... Why would you just say it was nothing? Like, if you're a runaway... Why would you be a runaway if there's blood on your door? Yeah. I don't know. That just... I don't know. There's a lot of questions I have now. About two months after Tom disappeared, his backpack was located, like, four miles from where his car had been found. And then, like, ten months after that, his cell phone was located, which is, like, a complete year, practically, from when he went missing. It was found five miles from the backpack's discovery location and nine miles from the location of the car. The backpack was found just a few miles east of where search dogs lost Tom's scent in earlier searches. Unfortunately, finding Tom's belongings did not yield any new evidence of significance for the investigators. Investigators have a thrown item theory, which from my research seems to mean that they believe some items related to Tom's murder were seemingly thrown out of a moving vehicle going up and down Lake Marvin Road. Now, I'm not sure if the cell phone is being included here with the word items or not, but this information was not told to the public until Tom's remains were found. There has also been some mention of a right-hand throwing theory, which would mean someone was driving the vehicle, any vehicle really, and a passenger was discarding the items out of the right front window because, you know, the driver would have to be throwing with their left hand. The backpack was found on the other side of the river from the Durango's location, behind a barbed wire fence on Lake Marvin Road. Tucker, Tom's brother, said it had to have been placed there after the fact because they searched that area up and down. But it wasn't found shortly after it was placed there because there was an indention in the ground where the backpack had been sitting and everything inside of it was soaked. The pages on books were beginning to mold. Due to the condition of the backpack, it did not yield any additional clues. Phil said he always thought it was a murder, something to do with the backpack, but never said what specifically about about the backpack. So was there blood on it? Was there a bullet hole? I don't know. But people have inferred that has something to do with the location of where it was dropped. I heard that it was gated and like, how did you get over there and put the backpack there? Um, That's behind the barbed wire fence thing? Yeah. Across the river. Like, so on January... Go ahead. No. Okay. <laughs> on January 9th of this year, a man walking down a path near Lake Marvin noticed something and immediately called the police. A few days later, as you already know, dental records positively identified the remains as being Tom Brown. 
It is unknown at this time the circumstances in which this passerby discovered Tom. So we don't know if he was fully buried, buried in a shallow grave, partially buried, or if maybe he had been buried or covered in some way, and maybe animals had disturbed the body or carried fragments of it off. Honestly, we don't even know if his entire body was discovered. Officially, the only information we have is that the human remains were discovered on Lake Marvin Road by a regular citizen, and whatever was found was enough that forensic testing and dental records were able to determine that the remains did belong to Tom Brown. Klein also mentioned in an interview shortly after the remains were positively linked to Tom that on the day of the body's discovery, five pieces of evidence were get turned over to investigators. At the end of Klein's press release, though, he said something really telling. It said, quote, One last message to those involved. We are coming for you. Your time is up. Make it end now. End quote. So it really seems like they have their suspicions and they're just trying to tie up loose ends, maybe. After I wrote this, actually, I saw an, um, an article about another interview he did. It was like this week. And he said that investigators really look at like the whole big picture. And at this point, he thinks they are three fourths of the way through the big picture. Okay. So I feel like answers are coming. Yeah. Okay. So prior to the discovery of Tom's body, Phil said, quote, there are three, at least three persons of interest. Do we feel they have something to do with his disappearance? They could. I don't know. But we feel very confident that they have information that could lead us to what happened. End quote. All right. So now we're going to talk about an element of this case that just cannot be ignored. The conduct of the Hemphill County Sheriff's Office and more specifically, Sheriff Nathan Lewis. So what happened in Canadian in regards to Tom's disappearance and murder can be described as sketchy police work. At best. Let's get into it. Make yeah. it tell it. Now, I promise I'm not out looking for police cover-up cases. This just happens to be the second one in a row. But truthfully, that seems to be what's going on with Tom Brown's murder. Phil Klein, the family's investigator, has been running the show pretty much the entire time. He was hired very early on in Tom's disappearance. He has said that when he first got involved, he was told by the sheriff's office to not go down Lake Marvin Road, which you know is the road where Tom was eventually found. They told him this because they said they had already thoroughly and professionally searched that area. Clearly, that is not true. As Klein came to know, the area was glanced over, more or less. It was basically just two guys looking around. So why would the sheriff's office tell the private investigator, someone who's supposed to be on the same team as them, because they have this common goal of finding out what happened to this young man, why would they purposely mislead the investigator and provide him with false information? That's sketchy. That's just one of the many red flags surrounding their conduct. Penny Meek, Tom's mother. I'm sorry, were you going to say something? I had a couple of thoughts. Like, Penny, she, she's pretty wise. Like, yeah. I appreciate that. She was like, nah, we got to get it done. Yeah, we got to get it done. Um, she actually had suspicions that they were involved really early, and I think I mentioned that in a second. Okay. So Penny Meek, Tom's mom, said that Sheriff Nathan Lewis told her that Tom probably ran away, but there was nothing to support that at the time of his statement, and we now know it ended up not being true. Penny said, I just know there is no way that he would have left without telling me or his brother. I think something happened, but I don't know what it was. Not only do I deserve answers, but our community deserves answers. Because we don't expect anything to happen in our rural community. I think that's why the panhandle has been so supportive. Because it's bothersome. In the presence of her husband and Tom's father, Sheriff Lewis also, just a few days after Tom disappeared, told Penny specifically that he believes Tom ran off with a gay older man. What? Uh-huh. What evidence did he have to support this theory? It seems way out of left field to me. 
Apparently, like a month after his disappearance, Lewis, the Texas Ranger, and the person above him as well all told Penny and family that they believed the same thing about the gay older man theory. But no one has ever stated that at any time they ever believed Tom was gay. Not his girlfriend, none of his friends, no teachers, no coaches. Nobody close to Tom has ever said anything about the possibility or any inclination that Tom might have been gay, nor was he ever seen with some mystery older man. So there was absolutely no basis for that comment. And how do you just decide that? Like, in the, days, basically. Your son ran away with a gay older man. Even the runaway theory, like, can, did, did he grab that? stuff? Like, did he have a, you know, like, yeah. is, he... Lots of missing people cases, they're listed as missing forever until you find out that they're not, like you find their body. So, But why would you decide in just days without really like traveling every avenue of yeah. possibilities, just say he ran away? And ignoring other glaring evidence, like yeah. such as blood. blood on the, yeah. <laughs> Initially, there were some really puzzling things going on with the cell phone discovery. So at some point, the sheriff's office asked Penny if she knew the password to Tom's phone. What? Right? But she didn't, nor did anyone else. And they, up to date, like, didn't tell her that they found the phone. Just no. what's the password? Yes. So this, this was allegedly before they ever even discovered the phone. So why do you want the password if you don't have the phone? Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some statements about the police not even knowing the correct color, make, and model of the phone and things of that nature. So Klein's firm organizes and puts on this search. And in the first 10 minutes of the search, an outsider a woman not from Canadian, unknown to the Brown Meek family, who just wanted to help. So she came in from out of town. She just wants to help with the search. Ten minutes in, she finds Tom's phone that had been missing for a year. What? This stranger finds the phone in ten minutes. That just seems... When they had, like, mad search parties out. For a year. Yeah. Who is the lady? I don't know. But she, She's unnamed at this point. Yeah. She made the comment that the phone was rose gold, which she thought was odd for a high school boy. But according to Tom's mom, his phone was not rose gold. <gasps> it was just gold. So there is some speculation if that was really even Tom's phone that they had in their possession. It was stated possibly that they had two devices, like one that was actually Tom's and another like decoy phone that they had thrown in to evidence. So like they already had Tom's phone, but they needed to find Tom's phone in order to tell people that they had it because why would you already have the missing boy's phone? So they like planted this person to quote-unquote yeah. find the phone. It was a horrible plant. Yeah, nice. and then she said that it was rose gold. To try to link it to the gay yeah. older man theory. I don't, maybe, I didn't even think about that. But they said that they were told not to touch things when they found them or photograph them, but apparently this lady did take a photograph, and it wasn't Tom's phone in that photograph. So they probably already had the phone, and they just needed a way to tell people they had the phone. Oh, well, we found it in this search. So it's really confusing. There's also been some speculation that the device was planted there. So um, something that like makes that seem believable is that uh, evidently the water sensor on Tom's phone was not triggered, even though it would have been outside in the elements for a year at this point. And the community reportedly received 13 inches of rain or so in that time between Tom vanishing and his phone not being um, discovered. So but the backpack was so wet that the things wow, inside of it were molding. molding. And they found that way sooner than they found the phone. So the phone would have been more Worse, exposed yeah. to the elements. So how is your phone not water damaged yeah, after a year gold, outside? After a year. Yeah. And still rose gold. Turned like, to rose gold? 
Yeah, that's probably what they're going to say. You're going to cover it up, cover it up better. Yeah, they're terrible <laughs> at this. I mean, I'm glad they're terrible at this. But so um, regardless of all of that, it has been determined that, yes, the sheriff's office does have Tom's phone. And it was recovered at some point. Whether or not it was planted there or it was recovered in that search, we don't know. But they do have it in their possession now. That's strange. I feel like if a mom was able to identify and say, hey... Like, most likely mom bought the phone. Yeah. She should be like, no. That's not Most likely she has a record of the purchase. Like, Probably. no, AT&T, I did not buy a rose gold yeah. phone. Like, yeah. why would that be an argument? Yeah, I don't know. That's Sorry, crazy. I didn't mean to put no, AT&T no. in this. No. <laughs> okay, so a bizarre side note is that a random gun holster was also found during that same search. Hmm. And there was like a... Uh, they've never... Like, casing in the car. Yeah, they've never connected the gun holster to this, but yeah. like, they scoured this area... And now all of a sudden there's a gun holster and a phone. Okay. So, or did they really scour it? I don't know. They said professionally and thoroughly about some other things that weren't. So, Penny Meek did a really extensive interview for another podcast called Unfound, which I discovered on the day that I was finalizing these episode notes. And thank goodness I did because it has been everything. So Ed, the host of that show, stated that within 10 minutes of his first conversation with Penny, she told him she believed Sheriff Nathan Lewis was responsible for Tom's disappearance. And he asked her, how early on in this did you start to suspect that? And she said, about two weeks. Wow. So that's like really early to have that suspicion. So two former Hemp Hill County Sheriff's Office uh, deputies off the record, so they don't work there anymore, and this was, like, we don't have their names, but they independently of each other, meaning that they did not know that journalists or whoever were talking to both of them, stated that they believed that Sheriff Nathan Lewis had something to do with whatever happened to Tom. Wow. So that in and of itself is really telling because law enforcement is supposed to be like a brotherhood, right? So to point your finger at one of your own really says a lot about that person's character and reputation that they would be like, yeah, I think he is involved. I don't know. Yeah. It says something, too, that they don't work there anymore. Yeah, they left. Either they left or, you know, they might have had some also issues with him. Yeah. So in the summer of 2015, which is more than a year before Tom disappeared, he and some friends had some sort of run-in with Nathan Lewis, who wasn't the sheriff at the time of the incident, but was newly elected when Tom went missing. Anyway, so Lewis stops the kids and accuses them of being responsible for some sort of criminal mischief, like touching a doorknob to a business, basically insinuating that they were trying to break in, or at least that they were just up to no good. This is a claim that Tom adamantly denies. He says that they were just walking around. However, it seems to go even further with Tom specifically being singled out by Lewis. Assumingly, it is because he recognized him, but not the other kids. But even though Lewis recognized Tom, Tom had no idea who he was. There is some sort of insignia on the vehicle, but he is not a law enforcement officer in their county. So to Tom and the other two boys he was with, he is a stranger. Lewis then asks Tom to get into his vehicle which he hesitates to do, but eventually complies. Once in the vehicle, he continues yelling at Tom and cursing at him. Tom was a good kid, so it's not like he and his friends were like hoodlums out searching for some trouble to get into. But anyway, once Lewis lets Tom out of the car, he calls Tom's stepdad about stopping the boys. Penny talks to the current sheriff, as well as the sheriff in the county where Lewis was actually working about the run-in with Tom, but nothing formal ever happened to my knowledge. But that's still really bizarre. Like, he's not a cop in their town. The boys don't know he's a cop. He's not wearing a uniform that would signify he's a cop. And he stops these three boys for allegedly touching a doorknob. Which isn't enough to stop anybody. Yeah. And then 
cusses at them and yells at them. And these are kids. So the son kind of holds them hostage in his car. Yeah. My son better not get in the car with anybody. Um, it, it seems like Tom is really sharp, too. Yeah. Like, so he like, was no, like, I'm not calling my mom. I don't know you. Yeah. So, and this is the summer of 2015. So Tom was 18 when he went missing. He turned 18, I believe that's September. So and that's 2016. So he would have been 17 in the summer of 2016 and 16 in the summer of 2016. So he's a 16 year old boy that this cop is stopping. Yeah. Seems weird. So I mentioned earlier that Tucker, the brother, went out with Deputy Gregory to look for Tom. At approximately 5.30 or so, they drive through the baseball complex, which is really near to where Tom's car was found. Tucker had previously worked for the city, so he was more familiar with that specific area than most. Mm -hmm. He noticed that a small road that is normally cordoned off, it's gated typically. Well, the gate was open. This was odd to Tucker, so he made like a mental note of it. However, he and Gregory did not go check that area because the deputy was about to go off duty and wanted to get Tucker home first. Had they gone down there, they may have seen something of great significance to solving this mystery. Because you remember the surveillance puts in there at 5.55, and they saw this about 5.30. So if they were still down that road, they might have seen Tom come in. Yeah, or someone else driving his Durango. Someone else driving. Why would a deputy who sees the gate open, like if if Tucker noticed it, I'm sure Deputy Gregory noticed it. I don't care if you're about to get off. A teenage boy is missing. A high school student is missing in your small town of like 2,500 people. Yeah. You'd go down that road. 5 a.m. You're right there. Just go. Um, So you want to do something extra weird. Oh, Um, I'm so excited. Tom's car is discovered maybe at like 9 a.m. that Thursday, which is Thanksgiving Day. The vehicle was returned to Penny that same day at like 5 or 5.30 so what kind of crime scene processing could have really been done on a car that is given back to Tom's mom less than 12 hours after finding it? 12 hours after finding it on Thanksgiving Day, which is a holiday yeah, and most people aren't working. Yeah. CSU isn't like, oh, okay. Yeah. A female deputy admitted to Penny that they did not try to lift any fingerprints off the vehicle, which seems not only unusual, but completely totally irresponsible. Negligent. Totally negligent. I have been a victim of a violent crime twice in my life, once in 2005 and once in 2017. For the 2005 incident, the outfit that I was wearing on the night of the assault was never returned back to me. It did not contain any bodily fluids to my knowledge, and yet it is like permanent evidence. Not that I want it back, but yeah. I mean, maybe I could get it back now because it's been 14 years. I might be able to ask for it, but I I don't want it back. Furthermore, hours versus 14 years. Yeah. Furthermore, the 2017 incident involved an object from my home, and police took that object, and I've never seen it again. So none of that was needed to solve any crime because in both instances, I knew the assailant. So there wasn't a mystery at hand. But this car, this car that is so essential to their investigation, is already back in the possession of the parents the same day. It just makes you go, hmm. I do believe that they picked up the vehicle again from her home at some point, um, but it was back. it is back with Penny presently. Additionally, the sheriff's office was in possession of Tom's backpack for several days before the family was ever notified that it had even oh, been no. found. So they're just not being forthcoming with information. Either that or they're just not good police well, people. Well, it's, it's a small yeah. area. They, they don't have city police. They only have the sheriff's office in the county. They've likely never dealt with a homicide before. But I feel like if you watch yeah. any TV... You, yeah, it goes way beyond just yeah. not knowing. Like, this is not an experience. This is like complete irresponsibility and negligence on their part. I just don't know how you... It's an open investigation. I don't think you give evidence back while the investigation is open ever. Yeah. Like, oh, we still... We don't know where Tom's body is. We're going to hold on to this Durango. 
I don't even feel like at this point, since the body's been found, that the family should have the Durango because it's not been solved. Yeah. So. No, even murder investigations, they keep this stuff. Yeah. I don't, it's like, I don't know what their rationale was for returning the vehicle, but she said when she got it, the blood wasn't on the door. So they just like wiped, wiped the blood it. off and handed it back to his mom, which is crazy. That's just tragic. So the police showed or provided Penny Meek with several surveillance tapes from various businesses around town, but the police never showed her the tape from the ballpark or like water treatment plant where his car was found. So they show her like this place like Abraham Investments and some grocery store by her house. And so she sees all these different tapes, but they won't show her the one where his car was found. They Which just would be the most interesting. Yeah. Most they relevant. said, oh, it just shows at 555, the Durango coming in by itself and then never leaving. But I guarantee that Durango didn't go in there by itself. So they admitted that there was a surveillance tape at all. Yeah. And then just didn't show it to her. Yeah. But that's like makes it way more fishy. Just pretend it never existed. Yeah. Like, oh, the Durango's here. We don't know what time it got here, but. No, so it's like, how to cover up a crime Yeah, Megan and Jasmine. <laughs> they, need, they need to watch How to Get Away with Murder or something because yeah. they are not Anything, doing the job. Any television would work. Any, yeah, CSI, Law and Order, something. Um, so they, yes, yeah, so they just told her that the vehicle arrived, that it drove down the road alone, and they will never let her see the actual tape. And I don't understand unless you're hiding something. Yeah, like you dragging the body out. Yeah, yeah or you see cop cars drive in there with the Durango. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so something else I learned from the Unfound episode, because like I said, I stumbled across it in my final draft of this episode, but it is just another red flag that Penny said she was receiving conflicting information um, from eyewitnesses and law enforcement about even really small details, like where inside the vehicle shell casing was found. Did we talk about that yet? You mentioned that, that it was found in the car, okay. but not... So the sheriff's office personnel told her that it was discovered in the back seat of the vehicle, but an eyewitness who had been there as part of a search effort on horseback told her that they found the shell casing in the front of seats of the vehicle. So even something that little, yeah. why are you being there inconsistent? There shouldn't be any confusion about yeah. where it was found. In front or back, those yeah. are very different places. So the cops told her it was in the back seat. Eyewitnesses are saying, no, they found that shell casing in the front seat. Wow. So... And it's not even like that really tells you anything because from their from their account of what happened, he didn't even get shot. He just ran away. Yeah. So why does yeah why does the casing even matter to them? Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> plot twist. So Tom's last known location is at Frank's Oil, right? Yep. Well, two sheriff's office vehicles were within a quarter mile of Frank's or less, approximately two minutes. Minutes, not like hours or minutes y'all from where tom from Bronx when tom was confirmed to be there last so the eyewitness said they saw him at 11 40 there is video surveillance evidence that at 11 42 the sheriff's office was right there mm-hmm. so there there's some surveillance tapes right and the sheriff's office vehicles are seen at least eight times in that footage Eight times. Eight times. So remember, um, footage was collected from establishments near Franks, but the Hemphill County Sheriff's Office never mentions this or offers any sort of explanation. They weren't like, man, I had two deputies right down the street, like not long after he would have been like abducted. I can't believe we didn't hear or see anything. They just like 
don't ever mention that, that they, they were, were there. right there. Or um, can't believe I didn't see him. Yeah. Cuddled up with an older man. Yeah, that would have helped your theory. <laughs> this is likely the biggest thing to have ever happened in Canadian. So I'm sure they are all like painfully aware of what exactly they were doing at like the precise time Tom went missing. Because yeah. uh, you couldn't possibly forget all of those little details. They're likely embedded in their brain forever. This is a town... 2,500 people. This is like your only homicide, probably your only missing person, probably will be the only one forever, yeah. or um, at least the force, at least on their term, like when they're serving as um, sheriff or whatever. And they just conveniently never mentioned that. So like in the video, so he's last seen there at 1142. You can see two sheriff's office vehicles on the tape leaving from the direction of Franks at 1142. So they were likely at Franks at 1140. Yeah. And they just don't say it. Yeah. And there's surveillance. Like, there's actual proof that you were there at the same time. Fishy. Yeah, I don't know. I wish we could show video on our yeah. podcast. Because it'd be the, like, the patrol car number. You'd be able to say well, that. Well, no, because the surveillance, some of them are in color, but um, most surveillance oh. tapes aren't. You know, they're really, like, grainy. But yeah. you can tell from the video that it's cops because of the bar on the front and oh. the laptop mounted to the dash uh, like private citizens aren't allowed to laptop and drive no. we can't even text and it's drive it's a tragedy it'd be cool yeah. how come cops can literally like type <laughs> and drive and we can't on a phone um i don't know but so these are our complaints <laughs> yeah so in another weird little note deputy pine gregory so he's the one who went to penny's house and then set out with tucker to go exploring for Tom. He uh, told Tucker that Sheriff Nathan Lewis was coming on duty at 7 a.m. that morning, but one of the vehicles in the surveillance is believed to have been him. So at like the, I think it was the 11 o'clock hour, you see this vehicle that is suspected to be Sheriff Nathan Lewis, but he wasn't even supposed to be on duty until 7. He's out there trolling. Um, you cannot see Lewis himself, but it is the belief that that was uh, him in the vehicle. And there is um, another surveillance video that shows two sheriff's office personnel talking to each other in a parking lot. Um, and it's about one and a half miles from where Tom's Durango was abandoned, but about 30 minutes before you see it enter its final location. So right before the Durango gets ditched, these two sheriff's office Deputies pull into this parking lot. One gets out of his car, walks to the other one's car, and they're talking to each other, like so close to where Tom's car was abandoned, essentially at the same time. It's believed that one of those individuals is Lewis, um, but we can't see them. I think they confirmed that the other one was maybe a deputy Herrera. At first they thought it was Pine Gregory, but it's not. He was busy. Because he was with Tucker. Yeah. Um, there's a video from the 5 a.m. hour, I think I said it earlier, that Penny thought was Tom's Durango because there was writing on the windows, like window chalk. Um, and it was just blocks away from its ho uh, her house on its way to its final destination, that like hidden grove of trees. But when the two sheriff's office vehicles I just mentioned depart from that parking lot, one heads in the direction of the Durango pretty much at the same time that the Durango in the video that they think is Tom is also heading in that direction. So they should have passed each other. Yeah. And yet they're saying that they never saw him. So what I'm asking is if the sheriff's office is right there and Tom, well, sheriff's office people are right there and Tom and at least two, two of these officers now are riding around Canadian all night because we see them eight times in surveillance video. If they are like looping the town at the same time, Tom is burning like a hundred miles, miles worth of gas. How do you never see him? Yeah. Canadian has two streetlights. How do that you puts it in perspective? Yeah. A hundred miles worth of gas. This 
kid is looping the city, trying to, in their mind, trying to decide, am I going to really do it? Am I going to either really kill myself or am I really going to, like, leave town? So he's just driving around, like, you know, thinking about it. And they're just driving around to pass these same businesses eight times, and they never see him, despite being in such close proximity to him, first at Franks and then at the abandoned Durango location. Yeah. It's just suspect as hell. It's suspect. I, I just feel like it all happened quickly, whatever happened, and, like, they didn't have any time yeah. to get their story straight because Miss Penny, she was on it. On it from, Respect, like, day girl. one. She was, she she's, was not She's a teacher, too, it. so. Got it, yeah. I like her. <laughs> so there's been a whole lot of chatter involving Deputy Pine Gregory and maybe, um, like, his shaky moral compass. Apparently, he had some criminal charges from when he was serving as a deputy in another location. So if you Google him, Pine is P-Y-N-E, Gregory, some interesting things will come up about his previous shaky moral compass. Everybody can be a cop, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, And he was on duty the night that Tom disappeared. And he also lied to Tucker about Sheriff Lewis' whereabouts, like what time he was going to come on duty, allegedly. And he also has a criminal record. So I'm Googling it. (laughs) I mean, I think it might have been gun charges, but I don't know, something he shouldn't have been doing. And they, like, dismissed him, I think, from that job. And then, you know, Hemphill County was just like, come on over here. We're cool with it. We like some squirrely people on our force. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll give you a gun. Yeah. With some gun charges. We'll give you an official weapon Mm -hmm. and car. Okay. So then there is the existence of a questionable photo. I can't wait to see your face on this one. So Tom's mom, Penny, was showed a photo of Tom very early into the missing person case, pumping gas um, into the Durango by Sheriff Lewis. Like, he showed Penny the photo. But the photo did not come from any surveillance footage because it surveillance cameras are, like, in the air. You know, they're, like, yeah. mounted to the top of a building. Like, so Slowly they, like, look down at you. View. So you can see yeah. this this angle from above. And there's no cameras at Bronx. They were down at the time of Tom's disappearance. So when the Texas Rangers got involved, Penny mentions the photo to them. And they're like, what are you talking about? Oh, no, Penny didn't. Chris, Penny's husband, mentioned the photo. And they're like, what are you talking about? We've never heard of this picture. So word gets back to Hemphill County Sheriff's Office about the photo, and they denied any knowledge of the photo's existence. But they were the ones who showed it to Penny in the beginning. And so so they showed it, and then just... Now they say there is no photo. It didn't exist, because yeah. Penny's just crazy as hell. Yeah. So And Chris. Yeah. And yeah, they're just making this up. So Ed, the guy from the Unfound podcast, he really did like a fantastic job of covering all the aspects of this disappearance. So on his episode, it's like three and a half hours long. I definitely listened to it. And then I watched the YouTube video that was like an hour and 15 minutes long um, that he did after Tom was found. But 100% like worthy investment of time. I'm on it. Yeah. So you you need to listen to it. My son was like, are you done listening to the story? And I was like, never. (laughs) It was recorded before the body was found. But it's really interesting. So if after you listen to me and Jasmine do our summary, if you are like super interested, go listen to that one if you have three and a half hours to spare, and you do. Um, You will not be disappointed. So anyway, Ed shows Penny a variety of photographs, all of people pumping gas, just like images he pulled off of Google. And he asks Penny to pick out which one looks the most like the photo that she was shown of Tom. So she selected one that was about 50 feet away from the subject. Was it 50? I think it might have been 25. Yeah, that was a mistake on my part. I think she selected one that was 25. 20, 25 feet directly behind the subject and about four feet off the ground. So surveillance cameras like are above you. Yeah. And this image was taken four feet off the ground. So probably like, like sitting in a car. Or like my six-year-old took it 
standing up. I don't know. Something right. pretty small. So it's an odd angle to say the least about the height. But do you know what would take an image from that distance and that height, like the one showed to Tom's mom by Sheriff Lewis? Can I guess? Mm-hmm. A cell phone camera. No, even more suspicious. A dash cam. <gasps> Megan, no. It's a dash cam photo. They got a dash cam photo from it and then acted like, huh, what? Nobody yeah, the, goes to Franks in this department. We yeah. don't drive there. We don't need gas. Yeah, we don't need gas. We never go there. But yeah, four feet. Now you think about it, the height of a car off the ground. Of course. Well, I was just thinking sitting in the driver's yeah. seat, you're going to take a four foot photo. Yeah. It's going to take off two feet. Yeah. But it's a dash cam. Wow, wow, wow. But it doesn't, the photo doesn't exist. This is so tried. Yeah. And I, Penny said that in the beginning they tried to tell her, oh, it came from the Dollar General surveillance camera. But Penny did her own investigative work and she went to collect surveillance. Penny, from, from so business. much respect. I love her. She, she should be her own private investigator, not on her case, but in the future. Help other people. And Dollar General does not have a camera that points towards Franks, which makes total sense. Why would you Why surveil would somebody else's property? Yeah. You want your own stuff. It's a waste of your money. So he just flat out lied to her. Oh, this image is off of a surveillance camera from Dollar General. Surveillance cameras are not on the ground. Dollar General doesn't look at this other building. Can you refresh my memory? Who was the one that showed her this? Lewis. Sure, Lewis, the one who what everybody... What a ding dong. And, but no, now the image doesn't exist. As soon as they said dash cam in that episode, I got... If you listen to Crime Junkie, which is another podcast, I got full body chills from that. Like, I was like, he huh. took this photo in his, from his dash cam and then destroyed it, the evidence somehow. All right, so what we can safely ascertain from the facts is that Tom was abducted from Franks Oil on the night that he was last seen. Because he was heading home, he wasn't going to go anywhere else, he's a good kid, he never missed curfew, he was close to his house, it was right before curfew, he left his friends at like 11.20, plenty of time to get home. Um, And his mom said if he ever was going to be a few minutes late, he would always tell her like, hey, I'm going to stop at such and such and get a snack, do you want anything? There was some text message exchange between him and a friend right before this all happened, and then her messages also stopped delivering, just like Tucker and Penny's. But uh, Penny said in the event that he needed to maybe meet up with this person and talk, he would have been like, hey, I'm going to run over here really quick. I might be a little bit late. He's 18 years old, you know? Like, really, what are you going to do? Your kid's 18. But she said there's absolutely no way he would have just went somewhere else without saying something to her. She had such a good relationship with him. I hope my kid is like this. But um, So he was abducted from there. That's He's seen putting gas in his vehicle, allegedly surveillance, or at least an eyewitness. And then all of a sudden, he's just gone. So somebody had to have done something to him at Franks. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think they, like, ambushed him. his car. Yeah. I don't think somebody, like, ambushed his car while he's driving home. It had to – whatever happened had to have happened, like, right there. But beyond that, nobody knows. So what we do know is that somehow his car was found near some ball fields the next morning. And then his body is found 15 miles away from that two years later. So it is likely, given that information, that if you want to go with the right-handed throwing theory, that multiple people are involved in this abduction and murder. So while this is happening, while Tom Brown is being taken against his will from Bronx, there are two sheriff's office vehicles that pass the gas station at literally the same time and do absolutely nothing to help Tom and never disclose the uh, the details of what they undoubtedly, at best, just witnessed, but probably participated in. And why? Like, if you saw something, why? I don't know. Nobody knows. Whatever happened, Klein's investigative team does not think that it was pre-planned. Rather, that um, it was probably just hap- something that happened, like, in the spur of the moment, and it just went really, really wrong. Um, and that's why their stories are Yeah. And, but it's trash. not believed to be premeditated. So, But, like, what could have happened at Franks between... Lewis and 
Well, they, Tom. They had a history, right? Yeah, they had that history where he and stopped it him. it didn't end the way that Lewis liked. Yeah. And then he actually, you know, she called, Penny called his boss on him and told the sheriff in town, like, about this creepy cop, like, stepping out of his boundary, like, not staying in his lane. So. He um, could have just been upset about it. Yeah. I don't know. So initially, Sheriff Lewis told Penny that the Texas Rangers could not and would not be pulled into this case because it's not criminal. Um, there are two. There are ter- currently two Texas Rangers who are investigating, but that's just not true. Like we listed in the last episode, all the things that the Texas Rangers help with, like public integrity cases, missing persons, mm-hmm. officer-involved shootings. So like, it doesn't have to just be something that you like criminal. undoubtedly know is a criminal uh, case. And so. you need help, Canadian yeah. people. Cause... You've never done a homicide before. I mean, hey, that could be taken two ways. You've never committed a homicide before <laughs> and you, you've you never like handled one. So why would, you, why t- would you deny like, help? Why would you deny help? Resources. Help. State resources. I don't know. So Penny started a petition on change.org asking that the Hemphill County attorney, Kyle Miller, and or the Hemphill County Sheriff, Nathan Lewis, turn the investigation and subsequent prosecution, if warranted, over to the Texas Attorney General. And she said it was just due to the inconsistencies coming out of their office, not necessarily because she believed that they were the perpetrators, but mm-hmm. just because they're information wasn't making sense and it was like things were changing at the very least yeah so she said just because the inconsistencies she wanted it to go to the attorney general so tom's family had done some open record requests demanding that sheriff lewis release 10 items of information compiled during its investigation of tom's disappearance and they would not so the attorney general ruled that the family could have these documents that they requested and then the hemphill county filed an appeal asking that the attorney general reconsider that decision so I mean, I do public records requests all the time. Side note, I'm kind of creepy with that. People get arrested that I know, and I legit ask for their police report. <laughs> and they, yeah. like, redact information from it because like, they can't tell you, like, things you don't already know. But they were like, oh, we don't want to give these out. And then they appealed to the state to not have to give these things out. They said it would interfere with their investigation, but by the looks of it, there is no investigation. They thought he was a runaway or they right. thought he committed suicide. And so. the investigation is getting turned over. No, this was right. before. This okay, was like okay. happening at the same time. She wanted it turned over. She wanted these documents released. Got and they, you, got you. they were like, all right. And then the um, Hemphill County was like, mm, you want to say just kidding on that? Because it's going to hurt our investigation. But you already turned the Durango over. What are you dra- investigating? Yeah. You already said he killed himself or he ran away. So why yeah. do you need these documents? It was a closed um, case. Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, yet another turn of events. The sheriff's office later contacted the attorney general requesting that they do take over the investigation. So I guess they had time to clean up their mess. They got their things uh, handled. And then they were like, yeah, actually, we would really like your help. And that that just sounds weird to me. So since then, the Texas Rangers and the FBI are both assisting in this investigation into Tom's disappearance and subsequent murder. So, But to be like, oh, the Texas Rangers won't help us. This isn't criminal. Like, how do you not know that the Texas Rangers does more than my comment. At the very least, they're just incompetent. At, at the very <laughs> least. Okay, so. How long did you say that Sheriff Nathan Lewis was sheriff? Okay, so he got elected in September, and he this is November. He wasn't supposed to take office until January, but the sitting sheriff at the time, who had been appointed, he never ran, Sheriff Pearson, he, because he knew he was no longer going to be sheriff, he got another job somewhere else. So he left early before January. So they just had to be like, all right, well, you already won. You could go be sheriff. But he wasn't even supposed to have been sheriff for two more months. Wow. Even that is... Yeah. Okay. Um. I mean... It just... Suspects. Speechless. (laughs) 
I feel there's like, a lot going on. They're bad. They're incompetent cops. But I feel like all other cops, if this behavior was being done by not law enforcement, they would be like, you're so obvious. And then these guys are cops and they're just like, nope. This is totally normal behavior. Yeah. They're just dumb. So the little piece of information that I initially saw online that got my attention and led me to want to research Tom's case was from a screenshot on Facebook. And it's really odd, and it could just be a coincidence, but damn, if it's a coincidence, it is one hell of a coincidence. So less than a week after Tom's body was found, a local teacher named Jeff, and the last name, I don't know, how do you think you say that? Caseltine? Castletine, something. Castletine. We're going to spell it for you. So it's C-A-S-E-L-T-I-N-E. So if you want to Google him, Jeff, C-A-S-E-L-T-I-N-E. Castletine, Castletine, I don't know. Anyway, that local teacher, the same week that Tom's body was found, so this is in January of this year, committed suicide. Mm -hmm. So he left a note, but the details of the note, as far as I know, have not been made public. But interestingly enough, Jeff is the father of the boy whose debit card was found in Tom's Durango the morning it was discovered following his disappearance. So remember they found the blood smudge, the 25 caliber pistol shell casing, and Michael's debit card. And then the same week, Jeff kills himself. And if you remember, like, so Caleb, Penny called Caleb's mom, Robin, wakes Caleb up and is like, Tom isn't home. Caleb's the one who reaches out to friends. So he texts Christian and Michael because they both saw Tom that day. Mm-hmm. And it was stated that Christian responded immediately. And it took Michael like 20 more minutes to respond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His debit card's in the car. His dad kills himself the same week that Tom's body's found. That's all weird. It gets weirder. So Jeff died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound with a 25 caliber pistol, which is the same caliber of weapon associated with the shell casing in Tom's vehicle. But... It has not been stated if that is the exact same weapon or not. But, okay, I'm not a gun person because I'm kind of, like, a hippie. But upon further research, it seems that a 25 caliber weapon is an oddity for today. Like, 2019, that's not a lot. Maybe not 1930s they might have had a 25. Okay. But today they have, like, 9 millimeters, 38s, 45s, things like that. A 25 yeah. is fairly rare. Oh, okay, okay. So it's just kind of unsettling that Tom's vehicle, there's a 25 caliber shell casing michael and this kid's debit card. debit card is in there when when the vehicle's found then michael's dad kills himself within days of the remains being found with the same caliber weapon which is evidently uncommon so what okay. and i can't stress this, this enough the hell <laughs> is that about yeah so they don't know why he supposedly killed himself uh, no, um, there's I like think all suicides are fishy. I don't believe yeah. in them. Yeah, that I mean, I, mean, I do. I mean, obviously they do it, but there's. I always want to know the reason. So if there's like not a, a note, so there is a note, and I haven't seen it. And the rumor mill on the internet's crazy. But somebody said he did reference the toll the investigation took on his family, and I'm like, mm, because you're involved. Like, so nobody ever tried to explain this debit no. card situation? They were just like, no. here goes your debit card, Michael. And they were like, Michael loses that debit card all the time. It's not a big deal. But, but they weren't driving around in Tom's, Tom's car. car. But no, but he, and Michael wasn't even in the drive around situation. He and Tom hung out before Tom, earlier in the day, before Tom met up with Caleb and Christian. This is a hot, yeah, whole mess. But I don't think anybody thought the debit card was a big deal until the dad died. And then they were like, with a 25 caliber. And then, yeah. And that's the shell casing in the car. But that there is. There's blood on the door. There's blood on the door. And like, what the hell? I, so as soon as I read that, I was like, swerve. I'm about to look this case up because. <laughs> What? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, like I said, the internet is, of course, rampant with theories and conspiracies about what exactly happened to Tom Brown. And one is that Tom was having some sort of 
intimate relationship with Sheriff Nathan Lewis. And that is why there was some shady happenings involving his phone, because maybe it would have given this information away. Um, another is that maybe Sheriff Lewis was interested in having that sort of relationship with Tom, and Tom rejected his advances. But for the record, I do not care about Tom's sexuality. And I don't believe that he was in any way having a romantic or sexual relationship with this man or any older man, um, especially not Sheriff Nathan Lewis. But um, whether or not Sheriff Lewis desired to have such a relationship with Tom is yet to be known. But my personal opinion is that Tom was not willingly involved in right. any kind of scenario like that. And that's probably where the weird uh, gay older man, older man because you thing. wish he did. You yeah. wish that Tom was running off with you. I don't know. <clears throat> so, but if I wish that and I knew that I could ever be implicated in something like this, I would never drop that clue. I'd just be like, yeah. he gone. I think he'd be a little bit more subtle, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, something supernatural. Yeah, why would you plant that seed in their brain yeah. if that's like even remotely? People are gonna be looking at you. Yeah. I don't know. But again, Nathan he's Lewis? not a smart one. There was, of course, some suicide speculation before Tom's body was found, and the main reasons for that, I think, were one. Because about 10 days before he disappeared, he and his girlfriend of a little more than a year broke up. So it was a mutual decision, and the pair were still friends. So there's really nothing that would make you think it was impacting him significantly, though his mom does say he was likely pretty bummed about it. Like they dated for over a year, and then they mutually decided to break up. So that's, I think, to be expected. Um, yeah. Dating is hard. Dating um, as a teenager is probably only marginally better than dating in your 30s. It's like emotional and. Terrible. Yeah, but he was um, still hanging out with his friends. Yeah, and he, he wasn't in He was bed. still talking to her. Yeah, he wasn't moping. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. The second reason is that Tom quit the football team some weeks ahead of his disappearance because the coach replaced him on the offensive line. But that doesn't seem to be a point of contention to him because he willingly quit after he was benched. And he told his mom he wanted to refocus his energy on school and the school's fall theater production. He apparently had a really good part and theater was like really his thing. He like worked at a mm. drama summer camp. So football was just like this other thing he did. But... I mean, he had he had joys. In yeah, his life. and he had Clearly. reason to quit football. Like in Texas, like everybody plays football, especially small towns. We are Friday Night Lights, so it's probably mm -hmm. expected that you play football. Um, and then he was like, oh, "I'm going to get benched anyway. I'm gonna, I'm not going to go to college and play football. It's just my senior year. Why am I going to sit on the bench and put in all this time practicing and going to game when I could be working on my grades and my role in this production?" So such a good kid. But yeah, but that's what people were like. Oh, he killed himself because of these two things. But now we know that that's not true. So superficial, really. Yeah. The, yeah. The superficial reasons. And he didn't seem knowing. he didn't seem like it was affecting him either of those things in a way that was like like noticeable. You know, I'm like devastating. Yeah. So, but now we know that that's not true, and he was in fact murdered so according to Klein whatever happened happened in the Durango and I have no idea what happened but I cannot imagine that if he was shot that he was shot inside the Durango especially because it isn't believed to be premeditated so there has um, there's got to be a reason one unknown to the public at this time that Klein the professional investigator here not the sideline sleuth that you would think it was hap like he was killed in the Durango but if he was shot, there wouldn't only be one drop of blood in the Durango. If it's not premeditated, it's not like they like draped the car in plastic sheeting like Dexter. Yeah. Because it's not premeditated. So if he was killed in the Durango, he wasn't shot. Okay. So, but why is there a shell casing and no bullet holes? And Yeah. Yeah. Um, once again, I'm not a gun person, but it's believed that that small of a caliber projectile would go through the body because it has like so much velocity to it. Yeah, and that confines space. Yeah. So, so it would have where's had an exit the bullet? Hole. Yeah, bullet bullet hole. Yeah, the, and the, we didn't. They found the shell casing. Not I said we. Like I was there. Find the bullet, and there's just this casing. So um, okay, let's say he wasn't shot, and he was actually killed by a method that didn't involve a weapon or blood. Maybe something that's not as messy, like perhaps strangulation. But I don't understand the blood drop if you're strangled. Unless there was a scuffle. 
Mm-hmm. But if it's on the outside of the door, why was why was he outside the door fighting with them if he was strangled inside the Durango? And the theory is, whatever happened happened in the Durango. I really want to pick Klein's brain now. Yeah, I know. So it's not possible for Tom to have been shot in the Durango and the blood to have just been cleaned up inside the vehicle to the state that it was when it was discovered just mere hours later. So mm-hmm. it like drove in there at 5.55. It was found by like 9 a.m. So that's not possible. Tom was not shot in the Durango. He may have died in the Durango. But now I have more questions than I have answers Kansas. about that. Caleb King, one of the last people to see Tom alive, is the son of state of Texas State Representative Ken King. So some people have suggested that his father had the kind of power and connection to orchestrate a cover-up. But Tom's mom said there's absolutely no way that Caleb or Christian would have anything to do with whatever happened to Tom. She said, quote, there's just absolutely no way that they would be involved or their families would be involved in any kind of cover-up. That has been absolutely heartbreaking for me to hear those things, end quote. I imagine that those two kids have felt that loss very deeply and probably some guilt also because I'm like the last person who saw him mm-hmm. and now he's gone. So to just to try to like lump him in them in there is sad, it's but hurtful. I guess, um, you know, all avenues have to be looked at, but I don't, I don't think that Caleb Christian or their families were in any way involved. In Clearly not all avenues yeah. have to be looked at because well, some people are just the people, who should be, the, the people who should be looking at avenues are not. <laughs> um, so these are just suspicions and theories because we're not in a position to accuse anybody of anything. So we're just like, you know, bouncing ideas around given the information that we found, but they're not accusations. Presently, the murder of Thomas Kelly Brown is unsolved. If you have any information regarding Tom's murder, please contact one of the investigative agencies involved. You can reach the closest Texas Rangers office to Canadian by calling 806-665-7168 or the Hemp Hill County Sheriff's Office, which why would you want to do that? Don't do it. At 806-323-5234 or the main switchboard for the Texas Attorney General at 512-463-2100. Or lastly, you can call Klein Investigations and Consulting at 409-729-8798. Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at facebook.com slash sideline sleuths. 